Alleluia. This is a proclamation we hear this Easter morning, and we hear it every Easter morning. We have walked through Holy Week and the deep darkness of Good Friday, but we knew this morning was waiting. We knew that Jesus' death was not the end of the story. Not so for Jesus' disciples and friends. On that Friday that we call Good Friday, all they could see was death. Their teacher, their friend, their leader, the one on whom they had pinned all their hopes was gone. And it wasn't as if he died a peaceful death in his sleep. His was a horrible, intentional death. It involved betrayal by friends, false accusations, and a death sentence. It meant being tortured and mocked publicly. It meant being put on display while dying a slow, agonizing death. And it meant being abandoned, abandoned by friends and feeling abandoned even by God. Now Jesus' disciples and friends are left, jarred, disoriented, grief-stricken. And they stand by helplessly and watch him being put to final rest in a tomb. The tomb is where today's scripture text from John begins. It is a place of finality and death. And as if to emphasize the bleakness of the story's beginning, John repeats the word tomb nine times in the first 11 verses of the passage that we just heard. Nine times in those first 11 verses. He wants us to know that whatever happens on Easter morning, whatever celebrations come at the end of the story, it begins with the tomb. It's at this tomb that we find Mary, early on the first day of the week, before the sun is, is even up. Why is she there? John doesn't tell us. Perhaps she's there to care for Jesus' body. That would make some sense. Or perhaps she's there because she needs to remind herself that this nightmare really did happen. Or perhaps she's there because she simply needs to be near Jesus or what is left of him. But at the tomb, she's not given space to do any of these things. Her agenda is radically altered by an unsettling discovery. The stone sealing the entrance to the tomb has been rolled away. It's been moved. And Mary know that this means one thing. Thing. Can you guess what that one thing is? Grave robbers. She knows instinctively that the body will be gone. She knows that given the circumstances of Jesus' death, there are people who are very interested in keeping this tomb from becoming a shrine, from keeping this tomb from becoming a place where they can come to worship a hero and a saint. And so they have stolen his body. 
Someone has taken him away. Who knows where? And Mary is devastated. Wasn't it enough that they killed him? Couldn't they have left his body to rest in peace? His body was all that she had left of him. And now it too is gone. Mary doesn't know what else to do except to run and tell the others. She finds Peter and the other disciple, the one identified only as the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved. When they hear the news, they rush back to the tomb to verify what Mary has told them. When they reach the tomb, they see that she's right. The body is gone. But when they look more closely at what has been left behind, something doesn't add up. The linen burial cloths that have been wrapped around Jesus' body are lying in the tomb, as well as the cloth that had been around his head, and it it just doesn't make sense. It, It was simply not the habit of grave robbers to unwind a body from its wrappings before stealing it. What's going on? What does it mean? We don't know what conclusions, if any, Peter drew. But we're told that his beloved disciple saw these things and believed. Believe what? That we are not told. But it seems that the beloved disciple senses that the empty tomb bears witness to something greater than death. That somehow death, like the linen wrappings and the tomb, has been left behind. Having seen these things, Peter and the beloved disciple return to their homes. But Mary does not so easily leave this place of pain. After Mary and the beloved disciple head for home, Mary lingers at the tomb. Weeping. She doesn't know what to do. She can't bear to stay, but she also can't bear to leave. She is stuck at the tomb, clinging to death. Finally, Mary dares to look inside the tomb to see for herself, and there she encounters two angels. Now, we're not surprised to see them there. Angels also appear in the resurrection accounts in Matthew and Mark and Luke. But in John's account, these angels do something different. Instead of announcing the good news that Jesus is risen, they simply sit where the body of Jesus had been lying, marking out the sacred space of his absence. And they speak to Mary about her pain. Why are you weeping? They ask. Now, if Mary is surprised and startled by the presence of angels, she certainly doesn't show it. She is so consumed by grief that it doesn't even register that their presence is somehow unusual. She is so caught up in her pain 
that she replies the only way she can, honestly, her grief spilling over. They have taken away my Lord, she weeps, and I do not know where they have laid him. Then Mary senses the presence of someone behind her. She turns and she notices a man standing there. This man, like the angels, also notices her pain. Woman, why are you weeping? He asks. Now we, as the readers, we have the advantage of hindsight. We know that this man is none other than Jesus. But Mary doesn't recognize him. And I've often wondered why that, why that was. Did her tear-brimmed, swollen eyes interfere with her vision? Had Jesus' appearance been changed? Or was Mary so sure that Jesus was dead that she simply couldn't recognize him? Whatever reason, she supposes that he's the gardener. Perhaps he can help. In desperation, she begs him, Sir, if, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you've laid him, and, and I will take him away. At that moment, Jesus reveals himself, not with a fanfare and not with trumpets or some grand announcement that here I, here I am, risen from the dead. No. He reveals himself to her by gently calling her name, Mary. And in hearing her name, Mary recognizes the voice of her beloved teacher. She recognizes the presence of the living Christ. And she cry, as she cries out in a voice of recognition, Jesus tells her, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And you know what? These are curious words. They're curious since we will shortly find Jesus inviting Thomas to touch him, to place his fingers in his hands and in his side. Jesus' words to Mary seem to have a different kind of meaning. He is not asking Mary to not to touch him. He's asking her not to cling to him. I don't know about you, but if someone I had lost came back to life, I would want to hold on to them for dear life. And Jesus understands that this is what Mary meant to do. But he also understands that they can't stay in the graveyard holding on to each other. They are both called beyond the tomb. Jesus to his father, and Mary to share the good news of what she has seen and what she has heard. Mary, as it turns out, is faithful to her calling. She becomes the first disciple to go out and share the news of Jesus, who had been crucified, that this Jesus has risen, that he is alive. And because she was faithful to her calling, we are here this morning, believing that the miracle that happened back then continues to break into our reality here and now to bring us back to life.
we need this miracle. Because the fact of the matter is, the tomb continues to be a reality in our lives. Each and every one of us faces it when we die. And sometimes we face it in our living. We face it when we're diagnosed with a life-threatening illness or a mental or physical condition that forever changes the trajectory of our lives. We face it when a significant relationship with a person we love or with an organization that we love, a relationship that has become a part of the fabric of who we are when that relationship ruptures and leaves us not knowing who we are or how we will survive. And we face it as we witness systemic greed and violence bringing death and suffering to so many people in our world. Those tomb experiences are all too real for many of us. Sometimes we don't know what to do except stand by our tomb and weep. But the good news this morning is that even as we stand at the tomb and weep, the living Christ is among us. Even when we don't recognize him, he is attentive to our pain. And there, in that place of pain, Jesus whispers our name and beckons us from the tomb to a place of new life. This new life takes many forms. It comes to us with the hope of the resurrection through the promise that death is not the final word. Life forever with Jesus is. And it comes to us through the promise of rebirth and healing here and now in our lives and in this broken world. Sometimes the new life comes in unexpected ways. This was certainly my own experience 11 years ago during Holy Week. The week began with a true experience of the tomb. On Saturday, the week before Good Friday, I got a phone call from a member of our congregation at Akron. This, me this member had been supporting a Russian immigrant family newly arrived to the Ephrata community. She called to say that the 22-year-old son of this family, his name was Yenya, had been murdered by another young man in his community. Could I come to the home and pray with the family? They were in need of pastoral care. Surely I could, and I did, but what I was able to provide seemed so small next to this ocean of pain that this family was experiencing. It was awful. Throughout the week, what had happened weighed heavily on my heart. I thought a lot about it, about the waste of life, about the incredible pain brought to this family, so, so far from their home. 
Then on Monday, Thursday, I, with some other folks from our congregation, attended Yenya's funeral. It was held at the Middle Creek Church of the Brethren, and that church was packed. It was packed as we gathered to hear words that would help us make sense of this tragedy. Many important things were said. We will miss Yenya. We trust that he is in God's care. We join with his family in sharing their pain. And this tragedy is a wake-up call to our young people and to our community. And then Yenya's grandfather got up to speak. He spoke of the pain of losing his beloved grandson. And then on this day, before Good Friday, he spoke to us about the criminals who were crucified on either side of Jesus. He reminded us that they, like the man who killed Yenya, had likely killed people too, disrupting the lives of their families. And he reminded us that one of these criminals turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus offered him mercy. This is the kind of mercy that Jesus extends to us, Yenya's grandfather told us. And Jesus wants us to extend it to each other. And then, turning to his own children sitting there in the church, he said, I beg you, forgive the man who has killed your son. Only in forgiving will you find healing. And then he turned to the many young people who were there, Yenya's friends, and there were many, many of them gathered there. And he said, I know, I know there has been talk of revenge and retaliation, not only against the one who killed, but against his friends. I beg you, forgive. Only through forgiveness will healing come into your lives and into our community. And then he led us in prayer, praying that we would have the strength to love and forgive those who have hurt us, praying that God's healing power would bring reconciliation to this community. It was a powerful moment one that has stuck with me all these years. It was a moment in which I knew I was hearing resurrection words. In the midst of this incredibly dark, tomb-like experience, this aching grandfather was bearing witness to the power of God's love over death and the power of forgiveness over hate. He was bearing witness to his faith in the power of God to bring life from death and healing in the midst of pain. And this, brothers and sisters, is the message of Easter. It's not that the tombs have disappeared from our lives. 
In fact, the Easter story tells us that, that life is broken, that love can be attacked, that people can hurt and be hurt. The affirmation of Easter is that while death and pain and struggle, and while the tomb is a part of life, God's love is more powerful still. Amen? Amen. The one who loves us is powerfully alive, calling our names, bringing us back to life. May we listen for that voice. May it lead us into an encounter with the risen Christ. And may that encounter transform us so that we, like Mary, are ready to go and bear witness to God's resurrection power, to God's invincible love that lives and reigns among us. Amen.